Hello and welcome to Evidence of Grace, a podcast from Revolution 22 Church in Boise, Idaho. The purpose of this podcast is for members of our church body to share their testimony and how God is continually working in our lives. We hope that this is an encouragement to you and that you continue to love God and love others. On this week's episode of the Evidence of Grace podcast, we have the one and only Kelsey Edwards. Kelsey plays many, many roles at Rev. She leads youth with me. Uh, She runs slides on Sundays, is on the mission team, along with so many other things. But she also has an incredible story about how she got to Rev and how she found Jesus that I think everyone needs to hear. Her motto for her testimony is going from a victim to being victorious, and, and it's an awesome story. So sit back and enjoy this episode. already going okay well now i have to cut this part (laughs) no we're just gonna leave it in we're just gonna go all right we'll do a live welcome on to the podcast for the second time only for me and kelsey though (laughs) i like how i said i wasn't gonna bring it up and then you immediately brought it up 12 seconds into the recording i bring it up you barely even said hello and you're like by the way this is the second time i didn't even i didn't even say hello i literally just we're literally just going right into it uh, Kelsey Ann Edwards, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for throwing me under the bus immediately. We, <laughs> we're recording it for the second time because the first time wasn't good enough, but now we're starting <laughs> off like this. All right. So to be completely honest, the first time wasn't good enough because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> Jack said, hey, do you want to come do a podcast? I said, sure. And then I got here and said, what are we doing? And he's like, you just like tell your testimony and stuff. Yep. <laughs> and then I went all over the place and it it didn't flow well you didn't that's okay um but we're back we're back round two this feels very much like a radio show like i'm watching kexp in seattle right now i feel really really professional thank you you're welcome i take that as a as a it is a compliment compliment yeah yeah it is a compliment yeah i watch things like this sometimes i guess i would listen more than i watch them yeah no we don't have a youtube yet but wave to the youtube camera hey um no please don't we, we didn't need to do that uh, all right <laughs> just following your lead uh, thanks <laughs> the one time you actually <laughs> <laughs> the one time i actually do what i'm told <laughs> that was pretty funny um all right so for those of you guys who don't know kelsey kelsey is um as you can tell uh, a, a youth leader alongside myself um We've been leading almost, has it been a year now that we've led so. together? Okay. I think it's been a year. So we've been leading youth for a year together now. Um, Kelsey also does the slides. It's on the mission team. That's it though. <laughs> nothing more. Yeah. That's completely where it ends. I don't do anything else that they ask me. No, nope, <clears throat> nothing. Um, yeah. So I'm excited for this. Uh, like, like we said, it's going to be kind of sharing your life up until I don't know. It's basically I I, I want to like figure out how you got to Rev, mm. and we can talk about maybe some some stuff that you're involved in current life current life stuff things that I'm at the end doing yeah. yeah. Um, so man, where where do we start Rev? this time? Yeah. yeah, that's a good question. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot there. There is yes. <laughs> uh, how far back do you want to go, Jack? Birth. <laughs> it's just. Right from Birth, the beginning. Straight yeah. out straight out the yeah. the canal. Yeah, sure. Well, I was born a poor black child. 
<laughs> I'm going to have to cut that. Nope, you won't, because the people that know it will know it. It's from The Jerk. Uh, it's one of the Steve Martin's best works ever. Anyway. <laughs> uh, I was born in the year 1985. Significantly. Wow, you're old. Yeah, significantly longer ago than you were birthed. I don't even think you were born in the... Were you born in, like, 2005? You know when I was born. I literally don't. 2000. You were born in 2000? No yep. wonder that when that kid said they were born in 2010, you freaked out. That makes yeah, more sense Yeah, that was now. weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was born in 1985 in a little town called Olympia, Washington. Yep. I uh, lived there until I was 20 years old. Um, so birth, I was born to some parents, and they got divorced like right after I got, after I got born, after I was born. Uh, and so they were divorced my whole life, which was in a lot of ways <laughs> way better than I think if they were together. Yeah. Uh, and so my family was me and my mom and my brother. Uh, and then my mom's parents, my grandparents were around a whole lot. And uh, when I think back on my childhood, like I th- I think of it kind of as a fact. But I also, now that I'm older and I've processed through all of it, I'm like, I feel bad thinking of it as bad. Hmm. It's a very interesting thing. Okay, interesting. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I think by asking you to explain that is to for you to tell your story. So that is kind of... Yeah, that's a good preface to, okay. to what you're about to, sell, to tell, you know? Okay, I can do that. Um, so my mom, this is not funny. Sometimes I laugh when you things know, are not funny. And, you and know? that's okay. My coping mechanism. That's okay. <clears throat> but I do think that's a that's a great disclaimer at mm-hmm. the beginning. Yeah, there can be some awkward laughs here. Um, okay. My mom um, was a single mom, had two kids, and was in a relationship from the time that I was two until I was uh, in my 30s, um, off and on with this guy. And he was an alcoholic um, and a drug addict and an abusive person and just not a good guy. And then <clears throat> my my mom uh, made some interesting choices that I don't agree with. Uh, she also was an alcoholic and, in my mind, put the guy before me for eternity, like my whole life. Um, <clears throat> so my mom made some interesting choices. And so from, I think, two to six-ish, I was in first grade. We lived with him. Uh, and it was just bad. There's a lot of abuse and a lot of, a lot of violence and a lot of, a lot of drinking and a lot of partying. And, and it's just, it, I just all of my memories of that time were. I was going to say, like, how much do you remember? How much, how much memory do you have? How much memory? Yeah. I got a good chunk of memory. I would say, like, the majority of my early childhood memories are of people people puking from drinking too much people partying and just like physical abuse okay um a good chunk of yeah i would say the majority of my early childhood memories are things like that and when i was like i said i was in first grade we moved out of his house we moved to another side of town uh and uh I didn't know that – I don't think I, – I honestly don't think I knew that wine came in a bottle until I was like 11 because she had boxed wine in the fridge 24-7. <laughs> it was Franzia boxed wine and wine coolers. And so that's what I just assumed was normal. All right. <laughs> like, right. Why would you think I was think probably 10 or 11 else? when I was like, oh, it comes in bottles. That's interesting. That's crazy. Um, And so she would kind of go through these phases every once in a while, like every – couple years she would leave him and then like kind of be on her own and then go back and and I don't remember a lot of like my elementary years um except I played a lot of sports um I played volleyball primarily then basketball for like 12 years 
Um, those were like my favorite things to do. And that was like my outlet. I was going to say, was that mostly just to get out of the house? I don't know. Cause it was like, when I was young, it was like, that's just what she wanted us to do. She's like, yeah, you guys mm. do this. Like my brother was super into basketball. It was like his thing. Um, and so we just, that's just kind of what we did is like we right. played sports. And then, um, in middle school is when I started to realize, like, I didn't have the words for it then, but I started to realize, like, I have anxiety and I didn't know what it was. I just knew something was wrong with me and I was way too scared to say anything. And so that's when I started just living in my head 24 seven and I couldn't say anything and I couldn't, I didn't know how to say things because Mm -hmm. I was so scared. Like if I tell them anything, like something bad will happen to me and so I just, I started struggling really bad with anxiety from, like I had my first panic attack. I, I clearly, very clearly remember I was five years old and my mom was late picking me up from Y care. By in my first grade mind, like two hours, it could have been 20 minutes. Who knows? But I have a very, yeah, yeah. a very distinct memory of being there with the neighbor kid and we were playing connect four and I was sure that they were like, they were never going to come get me and I was going to be stuck there forever, but I didn't say anything out loud. I just was internally freaking out. Interesting. Um, and now that I'm older and have processed all this, I'm like, oh, that was a panic attack. Mm. Like I was five. Like, that's so sad. I feel bad for little me. Um, and so, like I said, it was me and my mom and my brother and my brother and I never really got along. Like we never, he's so opposite for me. Well, me as a child, I don't know how opposite we are now, but when I was a kid, I was so shy and so afraid and so like in my shell. Mm. And my brother was like the cool popular kid that everybody liked and all of my like friends had crushes on him. I remember all of my friends were, your brother's so cute. I was like, he's disgusting. <laughs> like he's gross. Um, and like, I always thought that my mom favored my brother, which I mean, I really still do, <laughs> but that was always kind of the vibe that I got was like, he's allowed to do whatever he wants. Yeah. I also was allowed to do whatever I wanted, but I think that he took to it in a different way than mm-hmm. I did. Um, for me, I felt abandoned and left. And for him, it was like, hell yeah, my mom will buy me beers, do whatever I want. And I was just like, I just want someone to love me and take care of me. Like I, I felt like I had to just survive for a really long time. Yeah. I wonder if, hmm, that's interesting. Like, I wonder if your brother maybe being like super outgoing and you being super shy had something to do with that. Like he was able to just find that in other people. Yeah. And since you just weren't super outgoing, that was harder for you to find in other people. So you needed that from your mom and that's where you weren't getting it. Yeah. That's absolutely a possibility. Like I've thought about that quite a bit where it's like people always liked him and I just was always so outside the norm, like not any different than I am now, except I talked less. Which that makes it harder to find people to get to know. Totally. And I think also I never, I've never been one that can like, be fake towards someone. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one time so clearly we were going to my grandparents' um, house. They lived in this like old apartment complex when they got old and we were going upstairs and we passed a lady and she was like, oh, hey, hi, you know, being nice, right. like normal. I think I was like 14. She's like, hey, hi. And my brother's like, hi, how you doing? Normal conversation, right? And I was so mad at him. I was like, you are the fakest person I've ever met. Like went off on him. How I don't understand why you would ever pretend to be nice to someone like that. And like, like that was my mentality. Yeah. So, I mean, I was kind of insufferable too. Um, <laughs> At least you have the self-awareness now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I was 
growing up, um, my dad lived in Olympia too. Well, he lived in the area. Um, and he, he never had a job that I remember. Like, I don't ever remember my dad having a job ever. And he somehow was able to just get by with his pure charisma because hmm. like he stayed in this motel called the Holly motel, which was like, it's like the cabana. Okay. Like it's not a place that you want to be. Right. Um, but he, I just remember like when I was little, little, like he was my hero. Cause like he made horrible things so much fun. It's hmm. like, Oh, we're staying in this motel and there's bugs everywhere. And the bed is up, like not upside down, but slanted. We'll just sleep at the other end. It's like an adventure, you know? And then I realized like, Oh, you didn't have anywhere to live. Interesting. Yeah. You know? And, and so I think that it, I didn't realize until I was a grown adult, like, oh, I was like the trailer park kid. <laughs> like, Wait, So how, what was the split between your, your mom and your dad? Um, I don't like, remember. Like, not, like weekends. Sorry. Wise. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. That's, I don't remember. Yeah. I think my dad had us every weekend or every other weekend. Gotcha. But I was with my mom full time. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It sounds like. You spent majority of the time with your mom. Yeah, but. it was I was very much like it was at my mom's and then sometimes at my dad's. And I feel like there might have been, I think it was every weekend or every other weekend. But like until I was around eight, I remember like going to his house and he never had any money. So he would just take us outside and like walk us on the train tracks. And he made friends with the guy at the corner store. And so he could go in, we could get like. Two dollars worth of candy bars, which back then was like I don't know, probably ten candy bars. Yeah, I was gonna say that's for like maybe, a deal. He would get us like maybe a pack of M and M's. Right back then, it was so much candy, and he would get us. That makes you sound old, by the way. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, just a quick jab. But the best part about how old I am compared to you is that I'll never be as old as Bren, and that always makes me feel good. <laughs> I like that. That's perfect. Yeah. I have to remind myself, like when you and Shelby are like, "Oh my gosh, you're so old." I'm like, yeah, but at least I'm not as old as Bren. True, he could be my dad. Oh, that makes me uncomfortable, but he totally could be. Good. He definitely looks old enough to be your dad. That's true. Um, And so, he, like, he just kind of had this way of, like, hustling people. And and I don't think I realized it until I was older, but um, went to his house fairly regularly. And he would buy us candy, and then we each had a couch. My brother had an orange couch, which was just like the show Snick on Nickelodeon. He had an orange couch, and I had a black one. And so we would, like, hang out on our couches and we would watch he had three channels on his tv we would watch we would watch the three channels that we got so we, every weekend was uh we got to watch snake on fridays and then saturdays we usually went swimming all day until i fell asleep because he was like well you need to take a nap it's gonna tear, tire you out and then sundays i had to watch football all day which as a child was the absolute worst that's hilarious yeah i was like seven that's that's fair uh but then i ended up falling in love with the seahawks and it was pretty cool yeah um and then when i was eight um my dad came back to Boise. I think that's where my parents met. I'm not positive. I'm pretty sure. Uh, they met in Boise and then they moved to Washington. And my dad moved back to Boise, but he didn't tell us that he was moving. He just left. He just he just got up and left. I have a pretty clear memory of being at his apartment and him not answering the door. And so I was walking to the next building and yelling at the neighbor like, hey, Terry, what's up? And he's like, oh, he's not here. And my mom was like, where is he? And he was like, he went back to Idaho. He didn't tell you. <laughs> And that's all I remember. Like, I remember nothing after that. I just very clearly remember that. And that, in my mind, is kind of when things started to shift and I started to become much more cognizant of what my situation was. Yeah. And so when I was, like, I, I was primarily, I don't know if this is fair to say, in my mind, my grandparents raised me more than my parents raised me. 
I was at their house every day. Like yeah. my mom would take me there before she went to work. They would take me to school. And maybe maybe you just had more of a positive, like, not I guess image positive correlation maybe with absolutely your, yeah that's the word absolutely yeah like they were everything to me yeah uh and like their neighborhood I don't know they might have been like two miles away maximum. And so if, like, I didn't have school, I was at their house. If I did have school, I was there after school. Like, their neighborhood was where most of the kids that I played with lived. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was just, like, that was my safe space. But even then, it wasn't, like, super safe. Like, when I I was – how old was I? I think I was, like, 12. I got hit by a car. Dang. Going – riding my bike to their house. (laughs) And I was mostly fine. But I didn't tell anybody for, like, eight years. (laughs) Like, I remember, I remember it so clearly. It's funny now, but I was pedaling, I was pedaling along the street, and this guy was, like, inching up through a crosswalk, and he hit me with his van, and he banged, he, like, smashed his hand on the steering wheel, and I thought I was in so much trouble. I was like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And he's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And he's like, do you need anything? I was like, I'm I'm fine. I'm, like, trying not to cry. Right. And I'm like super banged up i have like the whole right side of my leg is just scratched and like i'm limping and he's like what do you need what do you need i was like nothing i'm just my grandparents live up the hill i'm gonna just pedal up there and he's like are you sure i was like yeah i'm good and i remember limping myself up the hill and their garage was like converted into this hangout space for us so we were always in the garage and it had an old tv from the 1980s dang uh an old couch that had like you know those like plaid designed couches that are not actually comfortable but they exist and the washer and dryer and so like that was our hangout area always we would leave the the garage door cracked and kids would just come in and out like roll under the door and i remember going up there and none of the kids were outside that day and i just laid on the couch and i sat there and i cried for like an hour (laughs) watching tv I was like, oh, that hurts so bad. And then one of them popped out and was like, oh, hey, you're here. And I was like, yeah, hi. And I never told anybody. Dang. And I know now, like, oh, because I didn't feel safe telling anybody. I thought I was going to get in trouble. I was like, something horrible was going to happen to me. Um, but it was like knowing that I could even go to my grandparents and that would be a safe space in that way was really important to me. Um, when I was in eighth grade, so I think I was 13, my grandma had a stroke. Uh, and it really kind of, that was the beginning of the end uh, for her. And in my mind, kind of our, our family dynamic of, of what it had been. Um, she got, she had a stroke. She got sick. She was, she was in the hospital. They didn't think she was going to make it for a while. She ended up pulling out of it, but I feel like that's kind of when the shift started of like, my mom wasn't able to cope with anything that happened there. And so she kind of just stepped out Mm -hmm. and my brother would have been 16. So he had other people to rely on and other things to do. And so in my mind, when I was 12, I was just like on my own. It's like, okay, well, now you know how to, like, make TV dinners for yourself. You know how to clean for yourself. You know, you have a bus pass. You can get to and from where you need to go. And so in my mind, like, from 12 on was, like, just constant survival mode. It's like people are like, oh, well, you know, I made all this money when I was your age because I was – I babysat a lot. And I was like, I'm just trying to live my yeah, life. I'm yeah. just trying to, like, exist. <laughs> I don't have time for that. And so my anxiety spiked hardcore in middle school. It was at a point that I would say middle school was the worst my anxiety has ever been in my life. But again, I didn't know what it was. Right. I remember seeing the beginning of this movie and I took it as truth. It's a movie called 12 Monkeys. And in the very beginning, it says like, on this day in 1997, the world will come to an end. 
It's just the premise of the movie. It's 1996. I took that as absolute truth and then i panicked about it for the next year so you're like yeah the world's gonna die the world's gonna and i was terrified interesting I was absolutely terrified i couldn't go to school like i just was like nobody knows nobody has any idea like the world's gonna end i was so in my head it was so bad and mm. i couldn't i couldn't stop overthinking everything yeah and so music became the biggest escape for me all sixth through eighth grade every single night i fell asleep with headphones on I have really bad tinnitus to this day because of that. <laughs> Wouldn't recommend it. But I, I had to listen to music. Like, I had my, my Walkman on me all day. It was a Discman, not a Walkman. A Discman because Walkman was cassettes. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Big correlation there. Or yeah. big difference there because yeah. you're young. Yeah, for real. I didn't have either, so. Yeah, you probably had, like, an iPhone when you were six. No. I remember, I think, so I had a an iPod Nano. Oh, and then I think when I turned like 13 or maybe I, maybe 12, I got the iPod Nano. And then I had like a slide phone when I got to junior high. I loved those. Yeah, that was sick. I wanted one of those really bad. Yeah. <laughs> but then I had a slide phone and then an old iPhone 3 with the SIM card taken out. Mm. So basically an iPod touch. Yeah. And I'd literally walk around with two phones. Yeah, the Stevens boys did that for a long time. It, every it was so like everyone did that because yeah. for some reason my parents were like, you can't have an iPhone, but you can have a phone and everything but the calling capabilities of an iPhone. Looking back on it, I've talked to my parents about this. They're like, I don't know why we did that because it doesn't make a ton of sense. I feel like they were still so new back yeah, then that I, we didn't realize the impact that they were going to have. Right, and I think everyone was. I think they're. Everyone is just kind of afraid of them. Oh, absolutely. I remember saying, like, iPads are way too much, and now I use my iPad for work. Like, right. It's, yeah. It's interesting. Anyways. Anyways. That was a good tangent. I liked that. Thank you. Uh, so when I was 12, um, it's Wait, kind hold of... on, hold on. Okay, sorry. We had some mix-up with Kelsey's mic. <laughs> Anyways, continue. We is in Jack. Yeah. Every, everyone's going to be like, wow, she sounds so much more clear now. <laughs> like, yeah, that's on me. It's all good. They, As long as they can hear my wonderful voice, that's all that matters. Yeah. So when I was 12 um, is kind of when I think things took a real cognitive downturn, like things that I remember. Um, and so I credit certain bands and certain musicians with getting me through life mm -hmm. during that like 11 to 13 period. Like I listened. I'm surprised I didn't burn a hole in these CDs, but I listened to Jules' two CDs every night in seventh grade. Nice. Anywhere I went. Like I couldn't fall asleep without headphones. I remember my brother one time was like, isn't that uncomfortable? I was like, no, it's fine. <laughs> Like, I'm totally good. Um, but that really is kind of, like, what got me into music in the first place and, and gave me, like, some sort of creative outlet is, like, music is really important to me. And it still to this day is, like, the way that I process stuff is, like, yeah. before I drive and listen to music. Um, when I was in high school, I didn't have any friends. I didn't really have friends in middle school, but, I mean, there's, like, neighborhood kids that you still kind of see. Right. Um, but we – when I was in ninth grade, we moved, uh, like, 12 miles out of town and I didn't have any friends, and I became even more, like, inside my head, and I just was raised by television. Like, TV was everything because it was like, oh, I can just disassociate from everything, and this is, like, a safe place. Like, I was raised by M everything MTV, mm -hmm. everything on MTV. I've seen probably every episode of Made ever, like, every episode of The Real World up until season, like, 13. Like, I was raised by television. Northern Exposure gave me... Every bit of life philosophy that I had as a young <laughs> child. Like, 
that was that was everything. Uh, and I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't know anything about church. Like my grandparents were very Catholic, and so that was the only thing I ever had exposure to. Like I'd go to mass with them sometimes, but they were pretty old. <laughs> so right. by the time that I was like, I don't know, high school age, like they couldn't go to church anymore. They would just watch mass on TV. Um, and so like that was the only thing I knew though. Was like there's these hard rules and, right. and it's like this. And my dad was raised Mormon, and my well, kind of, and my mom was raised Catholic, and so they both were just like religion sucks. I hate this. And so they like they never well, let me rephrase. My dad definitely had some opinions on anything religion and it was like absolutely not. Don't do anything with that. But I also didn't really talk to him, so I didn't really care what his opinion was. Right. Um so my dad moved back here and we didn't really talk for a long time and then I think I was 10 and he got remarried and we still didn't really talk and he didn't tell us. He didn't tell us he got married. I remember that pretty clearly. Uh, it just like he called and was like, "You guys want to come down for a little bit this summer?" Um, I got married, by the way, like four months ago, and I was like, "Oh, okay, thanks." And that's kind Sick. of a theme in my parents' lives. Like, yeah, for real. I don't know if that was a thing that they were taught, or if that's just how they handled things. But like, they just don't talk about stuff. It's a very silent situation. Like. If there's an issue, you don't talk about it. You just yell and then you move on and you never discuss it again. Um, so my dad was down here and I would come and visit him sometimes for a few years. And then when I was 14, I was like, I don't want to go down there anymore. Like, I don't want to come for the summer. I don't I don't want to have a relationship with him because like, he just was never – he would call maybe a couple times a year. Mm -hmm. um, but he didn't really put any effort in. It was just like I'm living my own life down here. And when I was 16, that was 16 was the hardest year for me. Um, <laughs> 16 was, so beginning of my junior year, I was, I had just turned, did I just turn 16? Cause I was like a little bit young. I think I just turned 16, uh, and 9-11 happened. And then exactly a month later, my grandma died, but she had been in the hospital for a month and in the ICU and like she had had another stroke. Mm -hmm. She couldn't remember us. She refused to eat. It was just really bad. Yeah. And I just have a lot of bad memories of her being there and, like, having to go and, and like, give her water and her choking on it and just, like, all this tra traumatic stuff, right? right? And, like, even the way my mom told me, she called me. My brother's in the shower. And she called the house. She's like, hey, what's going on? I was like, nothing. I just got up. She's like, oh, okay. What's your brother doing? I was like, taking a shower. She's like, oh, okay. Grandma's passed. Or no, she said grandma died. And I just remember being like, what? She's like, yeah, she's gone. Just so nonchalant. Yeah. And I was livid right i was like okay bye and i slammed the phone down and my poor brother that second he came out of the shower and i was walking past him to my room and i was like grandma died so he didn't get it very good either right. <clears throat> um and then from that day on for the next four months of my life i could not stop crying every day and it wasn't like oh i'm crying it was like the deepest devastation i have ever felt in my life like i I could feel my heart being ripped to pieces. It was so wild. And, like, I really think my grandma, like, I don't believe in this whole soulmate thing, but, like, my grandma really was, like, my person. My mom was adopted, but, like, my grandma looks like me. I guess I look like my grandma. Um, and it's this weird thing that people ask me about all the time. They're like, why do you look like your grandma? Or you look like your grandma. I'm like, yeah, I don't know why my mom was adopted. Like, I don't. It was just such, it was the most spiritual moment I had ever had in my life up until that point. Um. And I just remember being like, nothing will ever be good again. 
And I believed that for like the next nine years. Mm. I was like, nothing will ever be good. Um, and so my grandma died and my, my mom just disappeared. Um, she'd already been in and out, in and out. But at this point, she was like out, completely out, you know, just mentally, physically, everything. She was drinking a lot more, making a lot more terrible choices. Like I have too many stories to count of just like picking her up and not knowing where she is and all this other stuff. And then like my 16th birthday, my dad didn't call me which or send me a card. And that was the one thing he always did. Like he, he was never really around, but he always made sure to say happy birthday. Yeah. And he didn't that year. And I remember being so sad. Yeah. I was like, what the hell? Like this, <laughs> it's my birthday. Right. Um, and he never, he never contacted me. And so I just didn't talk to him for a couple of years. And then when I was, I didn't do anything in high school either. We have to mention that part. I was so sad and so depressed and so just in my head and broken and anxious. I didn't do anything in high school. Like I did okay in the classes that I liked, but I didn't do anything else. I just, I would get up, I would go to school, I would exist, and then I would go home. Yeah. My entire junior year, which was also, so 9-11 happened, my grandma died, my mom disappeared, my dad didn't call me, um, and then um, uh, there was another thing that happened. What was the other thing that happened? There's another thing that, oh, I spent three months of my junior year of high school completely depersonalized from my body. I was like oh, yeah, I so stressed yeah. and so anxious and so terrified that I remember just watching myself. And again, I was too scared to say anything. I was way too scared. I was like, you can't, like, nobody knows what this is. This is just what my life is. I'm just going to have to suffer. I really believed for most of my life that, like, the world sucks and you suffer and that it ends. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that was, that was the wildest time I've ever had. And I like, I mean, I'm sure we knew what mental health was then, but not to the degree that it's talked about now at all. Right. And I like, I have very clear memories of sitting in my English class and noises would trigger me. And so I could be like, totally fine. And then all of a sudden, like there'd be a noise and I would just go completely dizzy and I would just like instantly pull outside my body. It was so wild. And that was really, really hard to deal with. And somewhere in the middle of junior year, I just was like, I want to make my grandma proud. I want her to be proud of what I can accomplish because she was the only person in my mind that believed in me. Right. Um, I mean, my grandpa did too, but I mean, both my grandpas were alcoholics. My mom was an alcoholic. My mom's brother's an alcoholic. My dad's an alcoholic. And my brother became one as well. And I just remember seeing what they would do and just like the drugs and the things that were around. I was like, I never want to do that. That doesn't, that doesn't seem like something that's fun. And so I think that also kind of set me apart from regular teenage kids where it's like, yeah, parties are awesome, man. Like we're going to go do this. And it's like, I already was miserable. I barely liked anyone because I was like, you guys have not gone through anything in your life. Like, the world is so much bigger than this. I never wanted to, to get drunk. I just didn't understand the point of it. I felt like I almost was, like, too far ahead of a 16-year-old, you know? Um, and I ended up somehow, by the grace of God, I graduated high school, which mm -hmm. I really did not think I was going to do. I had to take college classes just to pass my high school because I was going to be too short. Yeah. And to this day, I still have dreams that I don't graduate high school. And I have to go back and I'm like 27. <laughs> it's the worst. That sucks. Um, and so my mom in high school, like even before I could drive, my mom was just checked out and was like, nope, I'm hanging out with Danny. Like 
there's just so many times where it was like, well, I can't give you a ride to this because I have to go get Danny from um, work release and just all this stuff. And, like, he had so many DUIs. Uh. And he was just – I heard somewhere – like, the number nine pops into my head. I don't know where I learned that number or if that's even accurate, but he had so many. And he was always driving on a suspended license. And, like, there's just some – there's nothing good that came out of him, yeah. you know? And so, like, that really that really ruined my relationship with men in a lot of ways. Um I have gotten a little bit better, but it just, like, the first memories that I have are just not happy ones, you know, at the co- at the hands of this man. Um, and to know that anybody could be a victim. Mm-hmm. Like, for some reason, I didn't really, well, let me rephrase. I don't remember having any memories of actually being, like, forcibly hit. But I do have memories of him doing other things, like chucking me into the deep end of a pool when I'm four and I can't swim. Um, and just stuff like that. And so I kind of felt guilty for a long time where it was like, well, nothing happened to me. Why am I reacting in this way? And I mean, that's obviously not a healthy way to process it, but that's, that's where I've landed on a lot of things. It's like, okay, well, I did something to make that person react that way. Mm. Um, and then I somehow graduated high school after just years and years of torture. Like I remember I didn't have friends. So I, We'd get out of school and I would drive back home and I would be home for a couple hours until my mom got there and then I would just leave again mm-hmm. and go buy a newspaper at the grocery store for 50 cents just to get out of the house. And I I drove an 84 Firebird that maxed out at 45 miles per hour. So, like, it's not like I'm going far. Yeah. <laughs> Can't get anywhere. Real. Um, And I would every day, every single day, it would be like, okay, I'll go home for a minute. I don't know, I think it was maybe two hours, and then my mom will come home, and then she's going to be just in a mood, and she's going to get drunk, and so I'm just going to leave. And I would go buy a newspaper for 50 cents, and I would sit somewhere. I would drive my car somewhere, watch the sunset, sit in the rain, always in the rain, um, and I would just read the newspaper, and that would get me out of the house. And then I would go home, and I would disassociate, and I would watch TV, and I would listen to music and play video games too. Um, but it was like I didn't have any healthy coping mechanisms, and I didn't have any words to say what was happening to me. And so I can just look back on that and... I'm just so grateful for it now. Like it's so wild. Mm, like, oh, if I didn't, if I didn't have that, poof. Yeah. I don't know what I would have done. So what happened after high school? Uh, I had planned on joining AmeriCorps and leaving because mm-hmm. I wanted out of Olympia. But then I graduated, and I wasn't the primary caregiver for my grandpa, but I was definitely like one of his lifelines to the outside world. Like I did his grocery shopping every week, and I like. I basically was the one that spent time with him. And I just was like, I don't feel right leaving you with these horrible people. Um, and I just, I, I felt so guilty. I was like, I can't leave my grandpa. Like, I can't do that. Like, his wife of 58 years, I don't know, it was a long time, um, died and he's just lonely and, like, he's slowly dying. And so I stuck around and I just was, I, I don't want it to sound like I was, like, so helpful and good because I had a horrible attitude about right. it. Like, I have so much guilt over the way that I treated him because mm-hmm. I was like, I'm 18. I shouldn't have to do this. But like, so you, yeah, you were, you were just begrudgingly doing the nice yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like I was doing it because I, it was out of the goodness of my heart. It was right. like, I feel bad leaving you because what I grew up with, I don't want you to have to deal with that in your last years. Um, and so I, my mom got married. I think I was 18. Uh, she married the dude that she'd been off and on with forever. Um, and uh, didn't tell me what she was doing. She just mm-hmm. was like, yep, we're getting married. 
in my assumption, they're going to move into our house. Like my mom spent her my entire life. She spent saving money to buy a house. She buys a house. It's like a big deal. We live there for four years. And then she's like, oh, by the way, I'm getting married to Danny. It's like, okay, whatever. In my mind, they're going to move in here. That's that seems logical. She just didn't. She moved into his house. And so I called her. This was in the days of what they call a house phone. Jack, yeah. have you ever heard one of those? Uh, we actually did have a house phone, so yes. Okay. Uh, and so I called her. I was like, Thanks. hey. I was, it was like 9 o'clock at night. I was like, hey, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm at my new house. I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, well, yeah, I'm moving into Danny's house. And I was like, you couldn't have told me that? She's like, well, I did. I was like, no, you didn't. Um, <laughs> and she's like, oh, well, yeah, that was the deal. Um, I told him that either he had to buy me a house or he has to add on to this one. So we're going to move into this one. I was like, oh, but all your stuff's here. She's like, yeah, we'll deal with it later. I was like, okay, well, what are you, what are you doing with this house? Like where I'm living. Right. <laughs> where where I've, I've been. And she's like, well, we're going to sell it eventually, but you can stay there until we do. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, bye. Um, That's crazy. And <laughs> so uh, they got married and they – Moved out there, and I stayed in that house for a few months. I honestly like. There's so many blank spots there that I don't remember. Yeah, and that's of, yeah. That's you know, fine. like it I doesn't... don't. I don't know what went on, but right. They ended up selling the house, um, and then I didn't really have anywhere to go. So I was like, "Well, I have to move in with you guys." And so I moved in with them. And, and how old are you at this point? Are they eighteen? Okay, so you're still. This is or nineteen, eighteen or nineteen. It's fresh out of out of yeah. graduating high school. Okay, yeah, very fresh and. Uh, I got in a job at Pizza Hut, first job, West nice. Olympia Pizza Hut. Shout out West Olympia Pizza Hut. Right. But I used to accidentally answer the phone at Domino's and say, thanks for calling West Olympia Pizza Hut. Nice. Uh, and I was out there and I just hated every second of it. Absolutely despised it. I hated being there. I hated what they were. I hated what they turned into. I hated how they spoke to me. I hated everything about it. And I started applying to AmeriCorps, I was like, it's time. Like, I have to get out of here. Yeah. If I stay in this town, like, nothing is going to become of me. That doesn't make sense. Nothing. I will become nothing. There we go. Thanks. And I applied to 40 different places. Like, I am I remember so clearly because it was on paper. It was before, like, internet um, applications. And I just was, like, filling out hand by hand by hand all across the country. And the only place that called me back was Boise. And I remember I didn't believe in God in the way that he is that I do now. But I remember being like, okay, God, I see you. Um, I had always kind of felt there was something above me. Like when I was in high school, I looked into Buddhism pretty heavily. We grew up with a lot of Vietnamese kids, like a huge Vietnamese population. And I was like, yeah, I'll check that out. Like, I'm really curious what that's about. Uh, and it just didn't really fit. I was like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, and so the only place I called was Boise. And I was like, well, that's some sort of weird connected sign. Right. And I called them and they were like, well, we have this position open at the Boys and Girls Club. And I was like, okay. And like my dad lived here. Right. As mentioned before, and we hadn't talked in years um, but a few years before, so maybe when I was like 16 or 17, he ended up in the hospital, um, because he drank a hole into his stomach wow. and it started like leaking and all this bad stuff happened and he didn't tell us. Mm. So Common we found out again. Yes. Yeah. We found out like a year later, uh, and they were like, oh, by the way, he was in the hospital for four months, but he's fine now. Dang. And he has to be sober. Uh, and all this other stuff. And we were like, oh, okay. You were like, kind of good, right? <laughs> You're like, oh, he has to be sober. Sweet. Like, to a degree, I was like, okay, that's good. Right. Like, that's good stuff. Um, and so, I was like, I called him and I was like, hey, I'm going to be in town for like five days or something. Can I stay with you? And he's like, heck yeah. 
And that was the first time I talked to him in years. And his wife is a really nice lady. Uh-huh. And they drove me around. Like She took the time off. and was like, I'll drive you wherever you want to go. Wow. And I was like, okay. And I ended up getting the job. And I was going to make $700 a month, which back then was like making $700 a month. <laughs> <laughs> like it... I mean, it's not as bad as it would be now, right? Um, but, but I mean, rooms were still, still four fifty back then. Yeah, um, like apartments were five hundred, and I'm making seven hundred bucks. And so, my dad had a neighbor two trailers down that was selling his trailer for five hundred dollars, and I was like, "I'm a poor kid, twenty years old. I have a thousand dollars in my bank account. <laughs> I'll take it." Sweet. So I bought that thing for five hundred bucks. I did see it before I bought it. I didn't ask any questions because I was 20 and I didn't have much life experience. And my father said, don't worry. I'll clean it up before you get here. And I said, awesome. Thank you. And I went back to Olympia and I said, hey, guys, I, I'm i moving. Um, actually, I guess prior to this. So when like at the beginning of 19, I had a really bad experience at my mom's house. I got into it with, with her husband. Like it was the maddest I've ever been in my life. I actually blacked out from anger. Um, and I called my mom the next day and I left that night and I slept in my car and I called my mom the next day. I said, so what are we doing? She said, I think it's best if you don't come back. And that just solidified the abandonment. It's like, my dad left me. My mom doesn't want me. My grandma died. Like I got nowhere else to go. Yeah. Um, and I called, I called my brother's friend actually who had lived with us for a while um, in the weird interim of like having the house to myself, my right. brother moved back in with his buddy and yeah. we were there for a while and, and I called him and I was like, I have nowhere to go. Uh, like, can I stay with you for a minute? He was like, yep, absolutely. And his parents were playing, paying for an apartment for him. He's like, I just need you to pay the electric bill. I was like, awesome. I should be like 20 bucks a month. I can totally afford that. Turns out he hadn't paid it in six months. Uh, <laughs> uh, classic. So it was a couple hundred bucks. Nice. But it was still, I had a place to live, but it was a one bedroom apartment. And I was like, I have an air mattress and I have a television. And he's like, cool, I have nothing. I just get high and play the guitar. And I was like, awesome. This will work out perfectly. And so so this is all before. This is before I moved to Boise. Yeah. So this is like while I'm applying. Yeah. Right? So I'm applying to these places and I'm living with Drew. And then he's got this girl that uh, wasn't his girlfriend. We didn't have this term then, but they were hooking up. (laughs) This is not a term we knew. Uh, And it just was chaos. And it was like for the first little while – I would sleep in the living room on my trusty air mattress. This air mattress came to Idaho with me. Nice. I had this thing for like six years. It was my life. Nice. Um, and I sleep in the living room and we would watch Anchorman every single night. <laughs> I awesome. fell asleep to that movie every single night That's awesome. for three months. And then at some point they were like, we should switch it up and watch Donnie Darko instead. And so we switched between those two movies for months on it. Nice. Um, and they, and then like she would come over and they would just get drunk every night, every night. Like they would chug a bottle of Rossi between themselves. <laughs> and I was just like, this is terrible. And it just wasn't healthy, but it was so much fun. I was like, I kind of have friends. Yeah. That's kind of cool, you know? But then it turned into like whoever falls asleep first gets the bedroom, which was me. So then they would have to sleep on the floor in the living room, but it worked out. It was yeah. like, you know, but. I was just doing dumb stuff. Actually, I was never – I wasn't doing anything right, dumb. Right. I still wasn't doing anything dumb. My friends were dumb idiots. Like they would just get high and play music and stay up until 5 in the morning and like he got fired from a job and we had a falling out because I called him out on it. And so I had to move back into my mom's house for a month before I moved to Boise and they were re- renovating the house. So like I had to sleep on my trusty air mattress in the bathroom. <laughs> like, And to me, like that was not a big deal. Right. When I say these stories now – 
and I talk to people who have had healthy relationships. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess. But to me, it's just like, yeah, that's just what you do. You have to do what you have to do in order to survive. I still don't think it was that bad. But um, in that period, I was working at West Olympia Pizza Hut. Nice. And I made some coworkers, made some coworkers, had some coworkers that uh, were kind of my friends. And um, there were like three, two of them that were believers. And one day they were just like, and like we, it was like four of us got along really, really well. And one time, one of them was like, dude, you should come to church with me sometime. And I was like, I'm open to it. I've never been against church. I just didn't have anybody invite me, didn't know how yeah, to start, yeah, didn't yeah. know anything about it. I was like, yeah, I think I believe in God. Like, I'll go. I'll check it out. And so I went, and I liked it. I was like, that's cool. This message is pretty cool. I can get behind this. But then what it was significantly more was a community. Like, I made friends for the first time. Yeah. So I was like 19 when I made friends that were not just drunken roommates. Um, and... Like, I just was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And, like, you guys are kind of healthy. Like, there's not a lot of arguing. And, like, you guys seem to like each other. And you got kids. And this is weird. And then they'd be like, oh, do you want to come hang out? Like, have dinner with us? And I was like, sure. Why not? Like, I'm open. And so it was just a very inclusive thing um, that really got me started in church. And I, I just remember very deeply wanting friends that didn't want to do drugs. Because everybody that I had been acquainted with to that point – just wanted to get high all the time or get drunk all the time. Like I had some friends that lived kind of down the hill from from the house that we were in. And they would go into their garage every night and just get high. And that was their pastime. And I just was like, there's so much more to life. Right. I was so miserable. But even then I thought, there's so much more to life than wasting your days. Which is hilarious because I spent 20 years wasting my days <laughs> in Washington. Um, and so like I bought the trailer, moved to Boise in August of 2005. And it was not a culture shock, but it was definitely a, oh, this is going to be a lot harder than I expected yeah. kind of thing. Uh, the trailer didn't have a quarter of the roof. If I vacuumed, the <laughs> the short, the fuse would short and it would turn the power <laughs> off. Perfect. Uh, I didn't have a drain running from the bathtub to anywhere. It, mm. Like literally you could look down the, the hole and it hit the concrete. Like mm. it just goes straight to the bottom. I didn't have a hot water heater that worked. So I couldn't take showers there. So mm. I showered at my dad's house every day mm. while I lived there. Um, it, The list goes on. Like when – like I had these slat windows because it was built in the 60s. I had these slat windows that were just always open, bugs always coming in. And so in the winter you put plastic over it, but that doesn't do a whole lot. Yeah. So I would sleep in long johns with sweats and a sweatshirt. Underneath a comforter, underneath an old uh, sleeping bag, nice. like one of the old 60s sleeping yeah. bags. And I would just like put my beanie on and I would curl up and I would go to sleep. Freezing cold. Yep. And then in the summer, it was 300 degrees in there. Yep. And I would sleep it on my trusty air mattress in the living room with the door open with a fan on because it was so hot. It was so hot. And I made a deal with my neighbor. His name was Stumpy. Nice. To plug my fridge into his um, outlet because I didn't have enough power running through to run my own refrigerator. I also didn't have a stove, so I had a hot plate, but I didn't have any hot water, so I used paper plates and, <laughs> and dishes all the time. Yep. And then if I – eventually when I would fill up my dishes, <laughs> I would take them to my dad's house and use the dishwasher because I was like, I don't have any hot water. Right. So I'd throw them in a bin, take them over there and wash my stuff. And I really thought like, all right, God, you brought me to Boise, and I'm right next to my dad, who I've been estranged from for years. I'm going to work on this relationship. Yeah. 
And what I found was he's the same person. He's not a good dude. Yeah. He's still an alcoholic. He's still very bigoted. He's still just angry and sick. But I didn't see it as sick then. Yeah. I saw it as you're selfish. Right. You hurt me. You hurt the people around you. Like what? what a waste. And so I just – I had this idealized version of like I'm going to have a relationship with my dad and it's going to be good because that's what it's supposed to be. And it wasn't. And I tried for the majority of the years that he was around and I, it just – it wasn't meant to be. Um, but when I moved here, I got a job at the Boys and Girls Club and um, I just – I didn't know how to – I didn't know how to not be awkward around people. Uh, and so I was like, well, I want to make friends that don't want to smoke and drink, which I guess most of the people there didn't want – didn't do that either. Actually, I can't think of any of them that did, but I don't know. I didn't know how to like interact with them. And so I was like, maybe I'll go to a church and see if I can meet people that way. And so I went to Calvary here because that's – there was a Calvary in Olympia that I started going to. And I started going to Calvary here and I just really liked the teaching of the pastor at the time. I was like, this, this guy's got some good stuff. And so I kept going, but I never made any friends. It took me like three years to make friends in Boise. Um, but it was interesting because I never made any friends at church, but I still really like the environment of like, yeah. I'm getting positive things here. Yeah. But I was That's still so sad. Yeah. I was still like super anxious, super anxious. Um, also to go back a little bit when I was 19, I had a panic attack that sent me to the hospital and they put me on um, anxiety medicine. And that's when I found out that I had generalized anxiety disorder. And so that was new when I moved here. And so I'm still kind of – I was still kind of trying to figure that out, figure out my medicine. And like I didn't have insurance. And so I was like, how am I going to afford this? So I went off of it for a while, which was terrible. Um, it just was like such a such a jump into the deep end, I feel like. Yeah. It was like, all right, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get out of Olympia and then I'm going to do these things. And then I got here and it was like – Oh, it's still hard. Um, I don't know that I ever thought it wouldn't be hard. I just thought it would be different. Yeah. And I remember moving here and being like, everybody in Boise is going to be like, have super nice cars. That's what I really thought. Like, they're all going to have Audis and BMWs. I'm going to roll up in my Buick and be like, hey, guys. That's so odd. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and it wasn't like that. Yeah. Everybody's pretty normal. Uh, but I also was just so in my head still and still, still so like – overwhelmed by everything um i never made any friends at, at calvary but i really enjoyed the teaching i was like there's some pos positive stuff coming out of this and so i went there i think for like two years a year for sure and they used to have this college age night and i was kind of i don't know if i can say that i was wrestling with my faith because i don't think i had a faith i just yeah. was like yeah that's fair i was like i think god's real mm -hmm. like through this process I was like, i'm pretty sure god's real but I don't know what that looks like or yeah. what that means. Yeah. And I don't think I necessarily heard what he was like through those sermons. It just was like, this is a positive thing in my week. And then one night, um, I was like sitting in, in the college age service and they had this really annoying worship pastor that like for some reason annoyed the crap out of me. I never liked him. But like he was doing a sermon one night and I just started shaking. And I was like, well, that's odd. And I was like, this is weird. And I just had this overwhelming like emotional feeling of like, God is real and you know that. And it was so strange. And I remember like having this huge rush of adrenaline. And I was like, I have to go tell somebody that I need to get saved right now. Interesting. And I was like, what does that, what does that mean? Yeah. And so I walked up to the stage to talk to this guy that annoyed me. And like he was talking to all these other people. And like they have like their stage, like you go up like 10 steps or something. And then like they're right there. And 
um, he was like talking to people and I was like loitering like oh, I don't know how to get this guy's attention to be like hey I don't like you but <laughs> but please save me yeah and I make eye contact with this dude named Mikey and he goes hey do you need something I was like uh, I, I, I need to give my life to Christ and he goes okay what's your name and I was like Kelsey he's like hey I'm Mikey I was like hi he's like you want to sit down I was like okay I was like I don't know what's going on and he's like did this really short and brief like God, thank you for saving Kelsey, and I just really hope that she follows you. Amen. <laughs> it was just very uh, surface level. And I was like, thanks, man. He's like, yeah, have a good night. I was like, okay, bye. And then I left. <laughs> He's probably like, sweet. That's awesome. <laughs> right? And I had no idea what to do with it. I just was like, uh, okay. And then I left, and I I had been going to this like small Bible study that a coworker of mine um, – her roommates, I think, her roommate and roommate's fiance were putting on the small Bible study. And she was like, you should come sometime. And yeah. I was like, okay. And so I started learning. Like, I actually really, people don't believe this about me. I have a very deep desire to learn and to, like, learn new things. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Like, I think I might believe in God. I'll go. And it was just a really cool time to, like, they started this Bible study from, like, the beginning of Jesus. And I was like, this is amazing. And I just was, like, so into it. And it was, like, a chronological of Jesus's life. And I was, like, that cool. is so cool. It wasn't, like, super in-depth. It didn't have to do with theology. It was just, like, this is who Jesus was. Then this is what he did. And I was, like, this is mind-blowing. And I remember going after I got saved that night. I went to the Bible study next. So I was, like, hey, can I tell you guys something? And can you not judge me for it? And they're, like, of course. I was, like, I gave my life to Christ this weekend. And they cheered. And I was, like, That's what awesome. is this? <laughs> this is so weird. And they were, like, so stoked for me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, you know. But I was like, yeah, I don't know. God's real. I don't know how to describe it. He's just real. And then we had a really cool conversation about it that I don't remember. Um, and that's kind of, like, how I was like, oh, I believe in God now. And then I moved a whole bunch and I ended up in this house with a bunch of people that went to um, the same church. Like, not Calvary. They went to a different church, but they all went to the same one. And they were like, oh, you should come to our church sometime. And I was like, I'm good. Like, you meet in the morning. I don't have to go to church until 7 p.m. It's great. Yeah. Uh, and then one time they were like, we have a one o'clock service. I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. Good enough. Yeah. And I met some people and I had friends, like actual real, not acquaintances, like true real friends for the first time. Um, and that's how I met, that's how I met Bren, unfortunately. Um, that's how I met Dewey, who was my ride or die for like 15 years. So I met some really, really good people. And I kind of just threw myself into whatever um, while I was there. And I, I I would say that I grew the least. Yeah. But as far as finding community, I really found it. Um, and then I learned, like, what we're made for. Like, humans are made for community. Like, that's what right. we're supposed to do. Um, and then... That's interesting just how that, that like... I don't know. You, you... That's just what you needed at the time. Totally. And so that's... I don't know. It seems like that was pretty clear that God was like, okay, this is what she needs at the time, so I'm going to lead her in this direction. Absolutely. Pretty cool. And I can look back on that, and I'm just like, oh, dude, you're so good. Right. So good. Yeah, you know, it's like awesome. I, I always have had this belief that everything is interconnected in some way, and, like, I truly believe, like, you meet people when you're supposed to meet them. Yeah. Um, and so to be able to look back on it and be like, yeah, God set up this, 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 like, even the connection to Boise – and the yeah. fact that I'm still here 18 years later, which is your entire life, like that's just well, wild to me. Not quite. Your entire life. <laughs> well. Okay. Anyway, so so you meet um, all these people, and then is that just 
that kind of transitioned into Rev? So um, I did a lot of serving uh, at the old place and they, they did this thing that was like leadership summit thing and they were like, hey, can you volunteer at it? I was like, totally. And in that, uh, Jen was pregnant with Ava and like got sick or something or she measured – I think she was pregnant with Liv. She was pregnant with someone. Therefore. And so. had to step out of whatever she was doing. Mm-hmm. And they were like, Kelsey, like we have this like emergency for the next couple of days. Do you think you could take over doing this? I was like, yeah, totally. It's not a big deal. Um, and so I did that and they apparently saw my amazing ability to step in and take things over as needed. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, they were like, you were really <laughs> helpful during that time. That's super cool. Um, and I had known Bren for years at this point, or I would known them, I guess, for years at this point. And um, I was still serving at this church, but I didn't actually go to the services. Yeah. I just was like, I felt after about three years that I had been led astray mm-hmm. and they didn't necessarily teach me biblical things. It wasn't necessarily unbiblical but it was more of their agenda than it was the gospel. Gotcha. And But I still felt like I just want to help people, so I'll just keep serving here. Like I'll show up and do the serving part. Uh, and so I, I kept doing that because I actually genuinely liked it. Right. So and, you were you were serving, not attending. And yeah. then, and then uh, Bren called me one day. I was like, hey, you want to come over for lunch? And I was like, sure. And I was super sure that I did something wrong. And how – like how – where was your relationship with Bren? Like how – I mean, we were friendly. Okay. Like, he wasn't, like, my friend. I was going to say, so you, you, like, knew his name. I mean, I knew him. I'd been to his house. Like, okay. we had talked for a couple years. Yeah. But, like, it's not, it's not, I don't even think it would be at the level that you and I are friends, right? It's, like, I probably hang out with you more than I hung out with them back then. Okay. Um, And they were like, hey, you want to come over for dinner? I was like, sure. And I was positive I did something wrong. Or at lunch. I was like, I was Hundred percent sure. I was like, I cussed in front of the kids, and they're mad at me. <laughs> like they're gonna be so upset. I was like, Yeah, sure. That I remember thinking that's weird. Like they've never invited me over by yeah. myself just to hang out. Like it's always like, Oh, hey, we're doing this. You want to come? Kind of thing. And I was like, Oh. And I had like Wednesday, Thursday, or something like random middle of days in the week off. And I um, and I went over there, and they fed me pizza. And I remember that clearly because they could eat regular food back then. So sad. Tragic, really. It really is. It's a travesty and a half. Uh, And they were like... You dropped the pillow. I know. Thanks. Thanks for the help. Yeah. They were like, how's things going, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, fine. Then Brian finally goes, so we called you over here for a reason. I was like, I knew it. (laughs) And my heart started pounding. I was like, I'm in so much trouble. I don't even know why I thought I was... I mean, who cares why I was in trouble, but like... I hadn't done anything to cause me to be yeah. in trouble. That's just I mean, what I thought. I feel like most people know that feeling. Yeah. Um, Where you're like, something's going on. I don't know what I did, but yeah. I did something. Yeah. Okay. I was like, oh, gosh. And he was like, well, we called you over here for a reason. And I was like, I knew it. What is it? What did I do? And he goes, well, Josh and I want to start a church and we want you to be a part of it. And I was like, oh, why? And he was like. We've been talking about it for a while and, you know, this is kind of where we're at. We've been praying a lot. And after that, like, uh, leadership summit where you took over, like, we just feel like you have a lot of valuable skills and we want you to pray about it. And, you know, typical spiel of this. Yeah. We have no idea what it's going to look like, but, you know, pray about it and let us know. And it was very interesting, the timing, because I had been planning on moving to Salt Lake for a job. Like, I, these people in Salt Lake that were part of my company um, – have been in my ear a lot and they're like we've talked to the boss like we want you to come apply we want you to do this i was like yeah totally i'm open to it and it was to support the fuel centers um for albertson's i guess 
I work for Super Value. Albertson is a whole thing. Yeah. And um, that's not that's not super vital to the story. Anyway, the the connection very is very vital. vital to the story. Well, Jack. the connection is. I know I'm making yes. a joke. Okay, good. <laughs> um, and I had been planning on moving down there, and so the day that I met with Bren, uh, we got an email that that job wouldn't exist anymore because they were selling all the fuel centers. And I was just like, well, I think I know what I'm supposed to do. Yep. Like, I'm supposed to sign on to do this. I don't know. And he said multiple times, like, we have no idea what it looks like. We have no idea what your role could be. But we want you to be a part of it. I was like, okay. And then I texted him the next day. I was like, well, I'm in. And, you know, then we, we started Rev and we birthed a toddler. <laughs> <laughs> like, it started out with, well, I think it was like 130 people or something. And so, like, we left the old church and we came over here. Well, I guess not here. I get really hung up on logistics it's occasionally. Fine. It's fine. I think people know what you're talking about. Yeah. And so we started Rev and it was 12 families uh, that essentially created kind of like one half of an elder. Yeah. Uh, and it was like, well, we're going to do this and this is what we're doing and we're we're creating all these processes and all these things. And really it was just like I just existed. Yeah. I still don't you think just, I necessarily had uh, – You any, just were helping. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I had any actual influence, right? I was 25 years old. I was a baby. I knew nothing about anything. And I was still a baby believer. Like, I didn't know anything. Right. But, like, they were like, you work hard. And so I, once a month, would meet with them. And we we created this church. And I did cafe things for years. And then I did kids things. And I just, I kind of dabbled in all of the areas. Um, and throughout the last, what, 11 years, 2011, 12 years, that's wild. Um, it's just, like, grown and changed and become kind of what it is now. And it's just a wild ride to be on. Um, when I was 25, it was shortly after we planted Rev. So we planted Rev in February. Like we had like a soft launch in I think October or November. And then we like actually launched in February. And then in April, my dad died, mm. um, which was a whole other ordeal. Like it, it wasn't – it was unexpected. Um, I got a call one day from his wife. I was like, hey, he had some issues with uh, with his stomach things. And he's in the hospital for a few days, but he should be fine. And then it ended up being um, he's in the hospital and they're detoxing him. He's in a medically induced coma. Now he's in a real coma. It's just this month of up and down and up and down and up and down. And then he ended up waking up for like two days and then he passed just Dang. out of nowhere. And it threw me. Yeah. And it created – I didn't – process i didn't have a chance to process any of it it happened my brother came to town and then my mom came to town mm. at the same time and so all of these horrible things compounded on top of each other for me and i just was like so overwhelmed that i had no coping mechanisms i didn't know how to deal with any of it and i was just like okay well this is the worst three days of my life because it really was really bad and it just there was so much horrible family dynamics and and like my dad didn't have anything so it's not like i got anything out right. of it except like trauma right. yeah and my brother was terrible and my mom was terrible and they got drunk together and just were terrible to me and then they left and i felt like i didn't have the space to be like okay it's time to process this now it's like you gotta suck it up and you gotta keep moving because you have to survive and then somewhere along the lines after he died i woke up one day and i just remember being like i don't want to do this anymore not mm. not like life. Yeah. I've never been suicidal, thank the Lord. Yeah, for real. Pretty I just good. always have felt like you have to be miserable. Right. And that's how life mm. is. 
And I woke up sometime after my dad died. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be miserable and I don't want to just continue down this path. And I looked up some, I called 211 and I was like, I need a counselor. And they're like, what kind of counselor? I was like, a counselor. And they're like, well, what kind? I was like, I don't care. I need help. And they're like, okay, here's some things. And I found a random guy and, and I met with him and he was like, okay, so what are you here for? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I have really bad anxiety and I'm kind of upset and sad and mad all the time. And I learned like what cognitive behavioral therapy is and he legitimately changed my life. That's so cool. And that's such a God thing. Yeah. He was a Mormon, ah. which uh, I found out afterwards. And he was so chill. But he was like, oh, yeah, you know, blah, blah, Mormon. And I just remember being like, I would totally be friends with you if you were my counselor. <laughs> but, like, God really led me to that. And it and it legitimately changed my life. And he taught me, like, you can you – can, you're in control of your thoughts. Your thoughts aren't in control of you. And I just was like, what? And so I went every single week for a year and a half. And it was – the best thing at the time that had ever happened to me. Yeah. It was like, yep, this is what I need. And so I just remember being like, I'm a, I'm allowed to – I can think what I want. And he was like, yeah. And so we practiced it all the time over and over and over and over and over and over. And he – I remember him asking me like, what are your goals? And I was like, I don't know. I just want to get better. And so after like a year and a half, I remember being in there one day and I was – and he's like, what do you want to talk about? I was like – I don't know. I think I'm cured. He's like, maybe. <laughs> he goes, maybe you are. I was like, okay. Like, you gave me some good tools. He's like, good. To, glad to hear it. I was like, all right, let's take a break. Take a break. He's like, all right, it's up to you. Right? Because he's not like, oh, you need more counseling right, or whatever. Right. It's like, it's up to you. It's your thing. And so I was like, all right, let's take a break. And then I, ever since then, I just have worked so hard to focus on the good. That's awesome. Um, and to to find the good in situations because I, I was so conditioned to wake up every day and fight really, really hard just to get to zero. <laughs> like I would say most people wake up and they're like, oh, yep, it's maybe a one. But like I was always starting in the negatives. Yeah. And to learn to look at the positive things. And I also like I – I, so I've been in and out of counseling uh, for 12, 13 years now and I've done different types and I've done Christian counseling and I've done EMDR and I've I've processed through so much of my stuff. And then um, I was able – I think it was five years ago, maybe six, through a lot of work and a lot of conversations with poor Bren. Um, I came to a point where I was able to forgive both of my parents. Mm. I was able to forgive my dad first. Yeah, that makes was, sense. Which was interesting because I felt like – I feel like you didn't – you weren't with him all the time. I mean that – Yeah, that, that makes sense. sense. To me. Um, but I also kind of feel like – I don't know. It was just really interesting. Like it was – there was a Father's Day camp out. The, one of the first Father's Day camp outs that we did, um, I was brooding around the fire because I was in my head, which I still do. Uh, and Brent came up and started annoying me. I was like, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. And then we just had this really like intense conversation for like 45 minutes where he asked me questions about my dad. And I was like, Father's Day is so weird for me. Like, I didn't really know my dad, but I have all these feelings. And he asked, like, these really um, targeted questions, and I just broke down. And, like, three weeks later after, like, praying through it and just sitting on what we talked about, I was like, my dad was sick. He had an illness. He wasn't purposely selfish. He just was – that's how he was. And I was able to just completely forgive him and be like, you had an illness? I, I mean, things happen. Yeah. And so that was so freeing. And then – 
like like I said, I was able to forgive my mom. Um, and I drove up to Washington and I was there for one night and I laid out, this is how I'm going to do things. This is what you should expect. Um, she did not take it the way that I had hoped. It didn't go well. But I was able to truly and honestly look her in the face and say, but I forgive you. Mm. And I truly do. That's like, awesome. Like I still have the memories. Right. But I'm not – it doesn't have a grip on me anymore. Yeah. Um, and it was a hard conversation and things didn't really change for, you know, four years. Yeah. But I remember just being like – like I could I could forgive her and I could look at her and say, you have wronged me, but that's OK, because God is bigger than any of it. And it was the most freeing moment I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah. And it was a, the, the, the aftermath was not great. It's gotten a little better. We're still figuring things out. I'm still determining, like, do I want to have a relationship with right. you? Like at all, not just like. Oh, do I want to have a mother-daughter relationship? It's like, do I want a relationship with you? Because for the first time in my life, about a year and a half ago, she started following my boundaries. And I mean, that's 35 years of me being conditioned one way. Yeah. To learning, oh, there, it, it could be different. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's still an everyday thing for me, um, especially with her, where it's like I have to forgive every time that she backslides and does something or says something, usually says something. Um. That then puts me back, and it and it is, it's hard, and it feels unfair in a lot of ways to kind of to view my mom that way, right? Where it's like, I know she has done work. She got sober a few years ago. I know she has done things, and she's a different person than the person that I know. But there's still so much there. <laughs> That, right, and that's okay. I mean, it doesn't have to be figured out as we do this podcast today. No, that's why it's so cool. Cause it's like it's a process. Yeah, and if someone listens to this and then comes up to you, like you might, they you might be in a different spot than you are now, and you can explain to them what this next step is like. And I don't know. I yeah. think that's cool. Yeah, and I, I, I'm just, I know that it's part of the process and it's part of God's plan, you know. And it, and it's so cool to be able to be in that freedom. Like I never yeah. thought that I could I used to say I would never be here. I was like I'm just never going to be happy. And I mean, I was a few months ago. What's it? What month is it? April? Like yeah. 3 months ago. Um I had suspected for a while, and by a while I mean multiple years, um that I was bipolar. I had bipolar disorder. Um and I recently got like officially diagnosed. So I talked to a couple friends that are counselors and they're like, "Yeah." And I was like, "I know." <laughs> But then I uh, officially was diagnosed, and so now I'm trying to figure out how to work through that mm -hmm. because it makes everything make sense, and it also adds another layer of difficulty yeah. to the healing process. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it explains everything. Yeah, totally. Everything. And so I'm trying to figure out what's it, what does it look like to be diagnosed with bipolar disorder and to also be able to feel those giant feelings, but also follow what God wants from me. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So that's been interesting. Um, but I'm able to look back on my life now and just be grateful for all of it. I was going to say, I think that's kind of a great way to like wrap it or summarize it. It's like, it's not, I mean, there's still things that we're working on. But, like, how cool is it to look back and see, like, the things that God has done totally. to get us to where we are? Totally. It's like, I like to tell people that I went from being a victim to being victorious. 
because I am. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like I'm so grateful because if I didn't have – if I did not have what I went through, then I wouldn't have the perspective to be able to help other people the way I want to. I'm going to write that down. That's going to be like the title of your uh... – Oh, I should take a video of you for my one-second video. Nice. Nice. <laughs> nice. I type – This is dead air now. All right, cool. Victim to be victorious. I like that. That's that was well said. It's it's what happened to me because it was like I had this mentality that like you need to feel sorry for me because I've had bad things happen, and I just realized like I also not even realized I truly God gave me a heart since I was a child that like there is someone that has it worse than me. Just mm. because it's hard for me doesn't mean it's not hard for anybody else. Yeah, and so that's been really cool. But yeah, yeah. Psalm twenty seven ten. Though my father and mother have forsaken me, the Lord will take me in. Though my father and mother would take me and the Lord would take me in. Mm-hmm. That's a great way. That's a great... Uh, Perfect ending. Benediction. Yeah. Mm. Thanks, Kelsey. You're welcome. Okay, bye.